continuing the same day. <laughs> it's a long one for Jesus. Uh, he's, he's tried to get a nap. Storm rose up. And in the midst of the storm, he speaks to nature itself, the nature that he, was, he participated in creating. And he tells the storm and the wind and the waves to peace be still. And we saw last week that, that in that moment, there's this recognition of the power of Jesus Christ. The power that he has to control what seems uncontrollable. Particularly in nature, when we think about hurricanes and storms and, and the, the earthquakes, right? As, as we've thought about that this week with what's going on in Haiti. And, and God, if you're in control, like how, how does that happen? And yet, often we can't ask that question. We have to, we have to submit and say, God, I, you have a bigger idea of what's going on. You know everything. Who am I to question you? And, and like Chris read in our prayer of confession last week, when Job comes and he begins to question God, and, and God sits Job down. <laughs> and in the beauty of the poetic, in the last couple chapters of Job, declares to Job who he is. And in the end, Job says, I shouldn't have spoke. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm, I'm sorry. Right? And so we have to remember, even as we see these storms and these things that seem out of control, that God is in control. God's in control of the natural. And today, we see God is in control of the supernatural. God is in control of what we can't see. What the, the, the demons and the angels that we probably think very little about, given our context, given our culture. And yet, there's a reality to them, because if God's Word speaks about them, then there's truth there. And so even as we come to this, and we're like trying to figure out, I don't know about a demon-possessed man, we believe that it's true, because God wrote it down. And, and I don't think, we know it's not an isolated incident, we've already seen Jesus declare and... Uh, declare clean a man who was unclean, right? To, to come and do a work in the unseen. And so we know that Jesus has this power and yet Mark writes down again for us in these 20 verses the reality that Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control in such a way that when the man or when uh, animals are confronted. They, they don't have a choice outside of God's will. When demons are confronted, they don't have a choice outside of God's will. And they're actually the first ones to acknowledge that in this story. And so today we see that as last week we saw Jesus lifted high. Jesus showing His supreme power over nature. We see Jesus' supreme power over the supernatural. We pray with me? I think... Particularly today, we, we need eyes to see, to see things that maybe we've never even thought about before, ears to hear what God is saying to us through His Word, because reading something like this shouldn't bring more fear, it should bring confidence and hope. Hope that God is in control, and that He's doing all of the things that He says He's doing, all of the things that He's promised to us. So let's pray. God, we do ask, Lord... We need clarity today. 
God, we need to be able to see in your word what is true. And, and even as we've had um, experiences with, with movies and stories, uh, maybe about, about de- the demonic, Lord, we, we don't want to have that be what comes to our mind. We want to have what you say be what comes to our mind. And so, Lord, may we trust you today. God, I need, I, I ask for clarity, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross today, that, that your words would be my words and my words would be your words. God, and I pray that for every person who is standing and preaching your word today, Lord, that you would continue to save. Lord, that you would break the power and the strongholds of Satan and you would, you would redeem God, humans that are made in your image and you would restore them to health. That you would restore them to sanity. That you would restore them to peace. God, even as we look at the garden and how you created in the beginning and it was beautiful and it was perfect and you said it was very good, I pray that we would remember that today and we would say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Would you redeem and save for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're just going to take this in in smaller chunks. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And and really what we're looking at here is the idea that there is a real and powerful enemy. Often we talk about like the enemy that's in us, the sin, the indwelling sin that's in us. And that's true. We, We have chosen because of Adam's sin, we are all tainted by that sin. We all have this rebellion in us towards God. That is all very true. But today we're seeing that there's also another enemy that's outside of us. There, there, there's spiritual warfare that happens. There is an enemy, Satan, who would love to uh, steal and kill and destroy the beautiful things that God has made. He longs to rob God of glory. We, we know some of His story as it's given to us in His Word. And today we see that, that He has those that would follow Him. And He has demons at work. And so Jesus enters into the scene where that's happening. So there is a real and evil, uh, powerful enemy. Verses 1-5, through five, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often, bound, he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones." We, we see in verses 6, 7, and 8 that, that the reason that this is happening to this man is because he's possessed by demons. And so these demons have ravaged his life in such a way that he's been stripped of everything. He's been stripped of all control. He, he no longer has control of his body. He no longer has control of his mind, his sanity. He's He's insane. He no longer has family or friends or relationship because he's been ostracized by them because they've, they've tried to bind him and chain him so that he wouldn't hurt them and himself. 
And yet he breaks these chains. The the demons that would ravage him are so powerful that chains cannot bind him. No one could subdue this evil. Listen, if you think that this is uh, just narrative, that there's not a lot of theological idea behind this, Paul actually speaks to this in Ephesians 6. Right? Paul comes in and he says, listen, we... You wrestle, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, as a young man, I've, uh, you guys know I love to read. One of the things that I loved to read was Frank Peretti growing up. He had all these ideas of, of angels and demons. And for me, as I would read that, it was, it was really entertaining. He, he had a way of drawing you into the story. But I don't know that I ever moved beyond story to the reality that that's true. And if that's true, then I need to have this even greater dependence on Jesus, who's the only one that can stop this thing that can't be bound by anything. This idea that no one could bind Him, and yet we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We we wrestle against the forces of evil, but we have one who has come and wrestled for us. Who has won the victory over sin and death, over demons, over the powers of hell. Hell has been defeated at the cross, and it's broken. And hell was defeated even before the cross because Jesus comes and He sees this man and He engages this man and He delivers and frees this man. The last thing that this man lost, we said he lost his ability to to control, he lost his sanity, he lost relationships. The, the The last thing that he loses, or one of the other things that he loses is dignity. He's being treated like an animal. He's being tra- they try to cage him and bind him, and he's, he's so wild that he resembles an animal. He's lost the imago Dei. He's lost the image of God that he would bear as a child of God. And instead, he's treated as less than. And Jesus comes in and he... He does all of these things. He reverses all of these things. And we have to see that. And then what you're going to see is He's going to call this man to go and tell people what He has done so that that reversal continues to happen. So that people would continue to be redeemed and saved out of the tragedy that they are in. This man in his current state is so trapped He's possessed by a demon in his own body. Like even in his own body, he can't get away from it. All of us, we've all experienced torment. We've all experienced um, circumstances that would overwhelm us. But, but at least we can get out of it. But he's so tormented that it's, the demons are actually in his body. He can't get away from it. He's so afflicted that he hurts himself. And it doesn't say whether it's like a, 
Whether it's just because he's so wild and he's running through the tombs and, and the mountains that he's cutting himself, or if he's literally cutting himself with stones. But you can imagine that in this state, even death would be preferred. Because then at least he hoped it would at least stop. This man is truly in a place where there's no ability to change and he has zero hope. I think we need to grab the gravity of that. Hold it for a moment. Because if we, if we don't get that, we don't see what Jesus does. He's literally without hope and broken. Longing for death. But then Jesus shows up. Verses 6 through 13. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. As soon as Jesus enters, this man who was out of control... This man who could not do anything that he wanted to do. He is propelled to Jesus' feet. And listen, if the demons are in control of his body at that point, they are the ones who are coming and bowing at Jesus' feet. They recognize that this man is the Son of God. And we no longer have any power in this place. And so we have to go and we have to beg that He doesn't just destroy us. And so they run to Jesus' feet from afar. Like they see Jesus a long ways off and they don't need to see His face to recognize His power. They don't need to know who He is and they run and they fall down before Him and they cry out in a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus? And it's interesting the phrase that they use, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. This area where Jesus says, gone to, it's, it's an area on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so while He spends most of His time in the Jewish area around the Sea of Galilee, now He has gone over to what they call the Decapolis and these cities of the Decapolis. And they're Roman cities. And so Jesus is actually entering into Gentile territory. And He's he's coming in. And so even that phrase, Son of the Most High God, the Romans, as my son likes to read, they, they believe in a pantheon of gods. They believe that there's all kinds of gods. But these demons come and they use the language that would recognize Maybe there are other gods, but there is only one most high God. And this is His Son. And then they even ask by that same God, 
I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And this is in the process where Jesus is, is, is calling those un, unclean spirits out. And the man who, who has been ravaged and wrecked by demon possession is beginning to be freed and yet it still doesn't feel good. Like he's still crying out, would you just stop? I just want it all to end. I just want to be done. And in the midst of this, Jesus asks a particular question. He says, and what is your name? And so he, he's, we, we've seen that names are important during this time. If you had someone's name, you, you had control of them. And last time we saw that the demons were actually trying to take control of Jesus by naming him. And yet this time Jesus is saying, what is your name? Tell me your name. And the, the name that's given is Legion, for we are many. If you know uh, about the, the Roman culture, the Legion is, is a group of soldiers that are powerful, that, are, uh, that they control most of the known world at that time. The Roman army defeated all other armies that would rise up against them. A Legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers. And so, what this demon is declaring, what the demons are declaring, is that there are many of them in there. Which explains, like, the, the torment that this man has experienced. It, it explains the utter destruction that he's experienced. What does a man do? Verse 10, I, I just, I want us to see this because there's a reality in the wording, particularly in the ESV, where this, this idea of begging is used throughout the story. Verse 10 says, And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Listen, he knows the power. There's not a question of can he do it. He's asking him not to. Remember last week, the disciples run to Jesus and it's not a question of can he do it. It's does he care enough to do it. And so everyone who experiences Jesus knows His power. Maybe they don't fully know it because after, after Jesus displays His power with the storm, they walk away and like, man, we didn't know it was like that. And what we're going to see is after people hear about this story, they're going to walk away and be like, man, that is a power we were not expecting. That's a different power. But there's an understanding that, that it's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of will he do it. Both from our human perspective and even the demons would cry out the same thing. And he begged them. Verse 11, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. There would be groups that would have a field day with this, like Jesus not caring about animals. And yet, the reality is, what does Jesus care about? Like, let's not ask that other question. Let's ask, what does Jesus care about? He cares about this man who has lost all sense of humanity. And he longs to restore and redeem him. 
And so he goes in and he speaks truth. And by his word, things change. Same thing as last week. By his word, peace be still. Everything stopped and was still. The waves stopped. The wind stopped. Today, he says, uh, he gave them permission. Spoke permission that they could leave and go into the pigs. Again, Mark is drawing us back to the idea that that every uh, Jew who is receiving this letter would remember that in the beginning, God spoke and it happened. There's a power in what He does and what He says. The beauty of it too is that Mark is also reminding us that Jesus, when He comes in, He changes all of your stereotypes. He is going to turn society upside down. Who you thought He was going to be, He's not that guy. He's something bigger and better. Listen, there's so many reasons that Jesus should not be going to this man. He's in tombs. Those are unclean. He's in a, in a Gentile region. That's unclean. He has an unclean spirit in Him. There's so many reasons. Pigs are unclean, right? So there's pigs around and that, they're unclean. So there's so many reasons that Jesus should not go to this man and yet He does and in the midst of His going, He calls them out and He gives them peace. He radically changes everything for this man. The pillar commentary puts it like this, Thus Jesus meets a man with an unclean spirit, living among unclean tombs, surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, all in an unclean Gentile territory. So many reasons that Jesus shouldn't be there, and yet He is there. And He goes, and He sees humanity. He sees a broken man, a ravaged man, and He restores him and saves him. This piece about the, the, the man coming immediately and bowing down before Him, we know that, that that is the power that Jesus has because it's been given to Him by God. Philippians 2, 9-11 through say, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We can get wrapped up in the, the, the very narrow portion of the story, the very narrow narrative of the story that says, man, God did something for that single man that radically changed his life. But the reality is Jesus is coming and He's doing something for all of mankind, for all of humanity, to restore all of us back to what we should be, to what we were created to be. And so there is a, there is a portion right here where we can look at this uh, small narrative and we can see the larger narrative. That at this moment, the demons would come and they would bow this man at Jesus' feet. But the reality is that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. We have it in Revelation 
Revelation 3.9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Revelation goes on and says that, that all of creation, even these crazy creatures that we, do, we can only imagine, they bow at Jesus' feet and they have crowns and they throw them at His feet, and forever we will sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive honor and glory and power. So in this small portion of the story, we're seeing what is a larger cosmic reality. Jesus is King. He's King over the natural that we see. He's King over the supernatural that we can't see. He's displaying His power. And He displays it by sending these demons into the pigs. And in that moment, people actually see Jesus' power. They see what was unseen because these pigs, possessed by demons, run and throw themselves off a cliff. Well, that's our narrative. That's our story. But verses 14 through 20, talk about the different responses to that. Let's read it. 14 through 20. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone who hears the story or was part of the story had a response. The herdsmen, they're the first to respond because they're, all of their livelihood just fled into the sea. And so they're angry. They're also scared. And so they go into the city and they begin to tell everybody what has happened. Well, now that draws a crowd and that crowd comes. And that crowd has a response to what? First, not to Jesus, but to the man. They come and they see this man who they had known was out of control. This man that they had seen was, was destructive and destroying everything. And he was... He was evil incarnate. And all of a sudden they come and they can barely recognize the man because he's sitting at Jesus' feet. He's in his right mind. He's, he's clothed, which seems like that was preposterous for them. And so the evidence of the power of Jesus is seen in the man. And then they hear how it all happened. They hear that Jesus called the demons out and uh, cast him into the swine and the swine flew off the edge of the, into the sea. And now they're fearful. And now they too have a response to Jesus. And what is their response? They beg that He leave. They beg that He leave. Listen, if, if, we're, if we're the people of God that we say we are, then we, we won't be able to be in our culture 
and everything be copacetic. Because we should be speaking in a way, we should be living in a way that is anti-comfort for those who do not believe in Jesus. It should be uncomfortable. If it's comfortable for us, then we've got a problem. If it's comfortable for those around us, then that means we're probably not going like this man and proclaiming and telling the good news of what Jesus has done and how He saved me from that thing you're in. How He saved me from that thing that you're doing, from that way that you're living. But we seem to be okay with it. Like, Jesus did it for me, but I don't know if He'd really do it for you. Or I just don't care. (laughs) So it's either an ability or a care question for us. And so there's got to be a response from us too, just like there's a response from everybody else in this story. The beautiful response is of the man. This man who has had everything restored to him. Who has been given life where all he had was death. And what does he do? He comes and he, and he sees Jesus leaving because the crowd's begging him to leave. And he comes and he begs Jesus and he says, can I go with you? I just want to go where you go. He's not impressed by the power of Jesus. He's impressed by the presence of Jesus. This Jesus that has changed his life so dramatically, all he wants to do is be with him. This delivered man becomes an immediate disciple. Like he he immediately believes that Jesus is everything that he says he is. There's no doubt in his mind. And he wants to follow Christ. Now, he physically wants to follow Christ. He wants to go with him where he goes. And so again, we can hear these last two verses and we can be like, man, that Jesus, don't you care? Well, if Jesus didn't care about this man, he would not have redeemed him. He would not have saved him. He would not have given him life where all he had was death. But again, Jesus has this greater vision, greater plan of what's going on. And so he looks at the man, and and I believe that there's compassion behind this. He did not permit him to stay with him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell him how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This idea of begging that we see throughout the story. Everybody's begging something from Jesus. The demons are begging him, send us to the pigs. The people are begging him, just leave. I don't care where you go. You just have too much power to be here. It's going to affect me. You need to go. And the man is begging to be with him. That's good news for us because sometimes we feel like all we can do is beg. That everything's so out of our control, everything's so broken, everything's so messed up that all we can do is beg. And that's where Jesus wants us. He wants us to come to Him with, with our begging, with our pleading, and dependence and say, God, if you don't do something, if you don't move, we're in big trouble. I think about my friend, his wife, with, with all of the things that have been going on and uh, the, the earthquake in Haiti, Afghanistan, COVID, racial tensions in America, all of these things, she, she sings the song, 
Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. And it's just this continual begging. God, would You have mercy? And so, not only are we given what Jesus has done, but we're given Jesus' heart because He does have mercy. In that moment, He has incredible mercy for the man who is demon-possessed. He delivers him and heals him. Jesus responds to that begging. How does He respond? He gives. And then He teaches us to do the same thing. In Matthew 5.42, He says, Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the heart of God for His people to give of Himself. And as soon as we think about that, we remember that Jesus gave Himself for us. Listen, we were in the same place that this man is. We were in a place where all we had was death. We just didn't realize it the way that this man has realized it. We were broken. Everything we did actually hurt us or hurt those around us. That's the truth and the reality of us outside of Christ. And yet Christ comes and He speaks a better word and He speaks mercy on our behalf. And He takes our sin, He takes the punishment due our sin, He takes our shame and He bears it on His own shoulders the wounding, the affliction that this man's experiencing, Christ bears it on Himself and He goes all the way to the cross. And He says, I have had mercy. I will have mercy. I am mercy. And so He gives us life. He gives us righteousness. He gives us restored peace. He gives us the image of of God, because now we have Christ dwelling in us, the Son. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And we walk no longer by the flesh that would be tormented and, and destroyed, but we walk in the Spirit, which is life. And we get to go and we get to share that life. We're co- not get to, we're commanded to. But, it, but what we find is that in obeying that commandment, we find a joy. That we get to go and we get to tell all of our family and our friends what Christ has done for us. And better yet, who He is. That He is mercy and He's shown mercy. And He will show mercy for you. We want to take, take some things from this this morning. And I believe it's in that last, in verse 19. A, A, we need to believe. You see, as I was thinking about this and preparing this week, I I just wrote this down, my lack of belief in the supernatural. And and I don't think it's a, I think it's just the way that I live walks in unbelief. But my lack of belief in the supernatural and Satan and angels and demons not only limits my understanding of what I am up against, so then I fight wrong battles I war against flesh instead of warring against the the powers. It not only limits my understanding of what I'm up against, but it also minimizes the victory Jesus has won. 
when we see this, we see that Jesus' victory is not a victory just over the natural, but it's over the supernatural. Jesus has defeated Satan. And there's going to come a time where He's going to come back and Jesus is going to, to completely destroy Him, cast Him out, just like He cast these demons out of the man. And so our understanding of that, we need to believe that that's true. Our lack, of un, or our lack of belief in the supernatural really minimizes what Jesus has done. We need to believe because these stories are all connected. Jesus is supreme over the natural and the supernatural. So first, believe. And then in that belief, Jesus gives us the command to go and to tell. This go immediately makes me think of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Some commentators think that this man was actually the first missionary to the Gentiles. Right? He's the first one that Jesus says, Hey, you go to your friends and family... And you tell them what I've done for you. You tell them that I am the mercy that I've shown you. And so we too are called to go and to tell. And that proclamation is twofold. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. What has Jesus done? What has He done through His work? What has He done through His life, through His death? through His burial and His resurrection, through His ascension, we tell what Jesus has done. And in telling what He's done, we also speak to His heart. We tell who Jesus is. How He has had mercy on us. Listen, we can't take something like this and it just becomes something that we consume. Because, like I said earlier, when I was reading those books growing up, it was, it was entertaining it's a new way of thinking about some things. But if it stops there, if it's just something that we consume and are entertained by, then we're losing it. We're missing out on what God is actually calling us to do. He's speaking truth and then He's inviting us to be contributors to that proclamation, to that telling, to His glory being furthered throughout all of creation. So today I pray that we would leave with this burden to go and tell of what Jesus has done to go and tell of His mercy, and that we would remember how merciful He's been to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We know You're good. God, today we've spoken about things that it feels like uh, I am unqualified to speak about, Lord, and yet Your Word says that it's true, and so we believe it. God, and we pray that we wouldn't um, get caught up in things, but we would truly believe Your Word, and that that right belief would then lead to action. God, would lead to us living lives that reflect Your character, that would lead, to, lead us to living lives that would proclaim Your glory and Your excellencies. God, we don't have to wait till heaven when we would bow down and, and, and uh, 
cry out, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, but we can do it now. God, and as we do it now, you would redeem and you would, you would call other people who are trapped and only have death to look forward to, you would call them to life. God, would, we, um, would you change us? Would you change our heart to where that would be the number one priority in our lives? God, that we would go and tell. I thank you for doing it, Lord. You're good, God. We, we pray these prayers with confidence, knowing that that's what you're doing in your church, and so we thank you for it. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.